Chapter 12 of Revolution and Counter-Revolution, or Germany in 1848. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Revolution and Counter-Revolution, or Germany in 1848, by Karl Marx. Chapter 12. The Storming of Vienna. The Betrayal of Vienna. April 9th, 1852. When at last the concentrated army of Windischgrätz commenced the attack upon Vienna, the forces that could be brought forward in defence were exceedingly insufficient for the purpose. Of the National Guard, only a portion was to be brought to the entrenchments. A proletarian guard, it is true, had at last been hastily formed, but owing to the lateness of the attempt to thus make available the most numerous, most daring, and most energetic part of the population, it was too little inured to the use of arms and to the very first rudiments of discipline to offer a successful resistance. Thus the academic legion, three to four thousand strong, well exercised and disciplined to a certain degree, brave and enthusiastic, was, militarily speaking, the only force which was in a state to do its work successfully. But what were they, together with the few reliable National Guards, and with the confused mass of the armed proletarians, in opposition to the far more numerous regulars of Windischgrätz, not counting even the brigand hordes of Jalacich, hordes that were, by the very nature of their habits, very useful in a war from house to house, from lane to lane. And what but a few old, outworn, ill-mounted, and ill-served pieces of ordnance had the insurgents to oppose to that numerous and well-appointed artillery of which Windischgrätz made such an unscrupulous use? The nearer the danger drew, the more grew the confusion in Vienna. The Diet, up to the last moment, could not collect sufficient energy to call in for aid the Hungarian army of Perzel encamped a few leagues below the capital. The committee passed contradictory resolutions, they themselves being, like the popular armed masses, floated up and down with the alternately rising and receding tide of rumours and counter-rumours. There was only one thing upon which all agreed, to respect property, and this was done in a degree almost ludicrous for such times. As to the final arrangement of a plan of defence, very little was done. Bem, the only man present who could have saved Vienna, if any could then in Vienna, an almost unknown foreigner, a Slavonian by birth, gave up the task, overwhelmed as he was by universal distrust. Had he persevered, he might have been lynched as a traitor. Messenhauser, the commander of the insurgent forces, more of a novel writer than even of a subaltern officer, was totally inadequate to the task. And yet, after eight months of revolutionary struggles, the popular party had not produced or acquired a military man of more ability than he. Thus the contest began. The Viennese, considering their utter absence of military skill and organization in the ranks, offered a most heroic resistance. In many places the order given by Bem, when he was in command, quote, to defend that post of the last man, end quote, was carried out to the letter. But force prevailed. Barricade after barricade was swept away by the imperial artillery in the long and wide avenues which form the main streets of the suburbs, 
and on the evening of the second day's fighting the croats occupied the range of houses facing the glacis of the old town a feeble and disorderly attack of the hungarian army had been utterly defeated and during an armistice while some parties in the old town capitulated while others hesitated in spread confusion while the remnants of the academic legion prepared fresh entrenchments an entrance was made by the imperialists and in the midst of the general disorder the old town was carried the immediate consequences of this victory the brutalities and executions by martial law the unheard-of cruelties and infamies committed by the slavonian hordes let loose upon vienna are too well known to be detailed here the ulterior consequences the entirely new turn given to the german affairs by the defeat of the revolution in vienna we shall have reason to notice hereafter there remain two points to be considered in connection with the storming of vienna the people of that capital had two allies the hungarians and the german people where were they in the hour of trial we have seen that the viennese with all the generosity of a newly freed people had risen for a cause which though ultimately their own was in the first instance and above all that of the hungarians rather than suffer the austrian troops to march upon hungary they would draw their first and most terrific onslaught upon themselves and while they thus nobly came forward for the support of their allies the hungarians successful against jelacic drove him upon vienna and by their victory strengthened the force that was to attack that town under these circumstances it was the clear duty of hungary to support without delay and with all disposable forces not the diet of vienna not the committee of safety or any other official body at vienna but the viennese revolution and if hungary should even have forgotten that vienna had fought the first battle of hungary she owed it to her own safety not to forget that vienna was the only outpost of hungarian independence and that after the fall of vienna nothing could meet the advance of the imperial troops against herself now we know very well all the hungarians can say and have said in defence of their inactivity during the blockade and storming of vienna the insufficient state of their own force the refusal of the diet or any other official body in vienna to call them in the necessity to keep on constitutional ground and to avoid complications with the german central power but the fact is as to the insufficient state of the hungarian army that in the first days after the viennese revolution and the arrival of jelacic nothing was wanted in the shape of regular troops as the austrian regulars were very far from being concentrated and that a courageous unrelenting following up of the first advantage over jelacic even with nothing but the lunchstorm that had fought at strulweissenburg would have sufficed to effect a junction with the viennese and to adjourn to that day six months every concentration of an austrian army in war and particularly in revolutionary warfare rapidity of action until some decided advantage is gained is the first rule and we have no hesitation saying that upon merely military grounds perzel ought not to have stopped until his junction with the viennese was effected there was certainly some risk but who ever won a battle without risking something and did the people of vienna risk nothing when they drew upon themselves they a population of four hundred thousand the forces that were to march to the conquest of twelve millions of hungarians 
the military fault committed by waiting until the austrians had united and by making the feeble demonstration at schweckat which ended as it deserved to do in an inglorious defeat this military fault certainly incurred more risks than a resolute march upon vienna against the disbanded brigands of jelatschitsch would have done but it is said such an advance of the hungarians unless authorized by some official body would have been a violation of the german territory would have brought on complications with the central power at frankfurt and would have been above all an abandonment of the legal and constitutional policy which formed the strength of the hungarian cause why the official bodies in vienna were nonentities was it the diet was it the popular committees who had risen for hungary or was it the people of vienna and they alone who had taken to the musket to stand the brunt of the first battle for hungary's independence it was not this or that official body in vienna which it was important to uphold all these bodies might and would have been upset very soon in the progress of the revolutionary development but it was the ascendancy of the revolutionary movement the unbroken progress of popular action itself which alone was in question and which alone could save hungary from invasion what forms this revolutionary movement afterwards might take was the business of the viennese not of the hungarians so long as vienna and german austria at large continued their allies against the common enemy but the question is whether in this stickling of the hungarian government for some quasi-legal authorization we are not to see the first clear symptom of that pretense to a rather doubtful legality of proceeding which if it did not save hungary at least told very well at a later period before the english middle-class audiences as to the pretext of possible conflicts with the central power of germany at frankfurt it is quite futile the frankfurt authorities were de facto upset by the victory of the counter-revolution at vienna they would have been equally upset had the revolution there found the support necessary to defeat its enemies and lastly the great argument that hungary could not leave legal and constitutional ground may do very well for british free traders but it will never be deemed sufficient in the eyes of history suppose the people of vienna had stuck to legal and constitutional means on the thirteenth of march and on the sixth of october what then of the legal and constitutional movement and of all the glorious battles which for the first time brought hungary to the notice of the civilized world the very legal and constitutional ground upon which it is asserted the hungarians moved in eighteen forty eight and eighteen forty nine was conquered for them by the exceedingly illegal and unconstitutional rising of the people of vienna on the thirteenth march it is not to our purpose here to discuss the revolutionary history of hungary but it may be deemed proper if we observe that it is utterly useless to professedly use merely legal means of resistance against an enemy who scorns such scruples and if we add that had it not been for this eternal pretense of legality which georgi seized upon and turned against the government the devotion of georgi's army to its general and the disgraceful catastrophe of vilagos would have been impossible and when at last to save their honour the hungarians came across the Leita in the latter end of october eighteen forty eight was not this quite as illegal as any immediate and resolute attack would have been we are known to harbour no unfriendly feeling toward hungary we stood by her during the struggles 
we may be allowed to say that our paper the neue rheinische zeitung has done more than any other to render the hungarian cause popular in germany by explaining the nature of the struggle between the magyar and the slavonian races and by following up the hungarian war in a series of articles which have had paid them the compliment of being plagiarized in almost every subsequent book upon the subject the works of native hungarians and eye-witnesses not excepted we even now in any future continental convulsion consider hungary as the necessary and natural ally of germany but we have been severe enough upon our own countrymen to have a right to speak out upon our neighbours and then we have here to record facts with historical impartiality and we must say that in this particular instance the generous bravery of the people of vienna was not only far more noble but also more far-sighted than the cautious circumspection of the hungarian government and as a german we may further be allowed to say that not for all the showy victories and glorious battles of the hungarian campaign would we exchange that spontaneous single-handed rising and heroic resistance of the people of vienna our countrymen which gave hungary the time to organize the army that could do such great things the second ally of vienna was the german people but they were everywhere engaged in the same struggle as the viennese frankfurt baden Köln had just been defeated and disarmed in berlin and breslau the people were at daggers drawn with the army and daily expected to come to blows thus it was in every local centre of action everywhere questions were pending that could only be settled by the force of arms and now it was that for the first time were severely felt the disastrous consequences of the continuation of the old dismemberment and decentralization of germany the different questions in every state every province every town were fundamentally the same but they were brought forward everywhere under different shapes and pretexts and had everywhere attained different degrees of maturity thus it happened that while in every locality the decisive gravity of the events at vienna was felt yet nowhere could an important blow be struck with any hope of bringing the viennese succour or making a diversion in their favour and there remained nothing to aid them but the parliament and central power of frankfort they were appealed to on all hands but what did they do the frankfort parliament and the bastard child it had brought to light by incestuous intercourse with the old german diet the so-called central power profited by the viennese movement to show forth their utter nullity this contemptible assembly as we have seen had long since sacrificed its virginity and young as it was it was already turning grey-headed and experienced in all the artifices of painting and pseudo-diplomatic prostitution of the dreams and illusions of power of german regeneration and unity that in the beginning had pervaded it nothing remained but a set of teutonic claptrap phraseology that was repeated on every occasion and a firm belief of each individual member in his own importance as well as in the credulity of the public the original naivety was discarded the representatives of the german people had turned practical men that is to say they had made it out that the less they did and the more they prated the safer would be their position as the umpires of the fate of germany not that they considered their proceedings superfluous quite the contrary but they had found out that all really great questions being to them forbidden ground had better be let alone 
and there like a set of byzantine doctors of the lower empire they discussed with an importance and assiduity worthy of the fate that at last overtook them theoretical dogmas long ago settled in every part of the civilized world or microscopical practical questions which never led to any practical result thus the assembly being a sort of lancastrian school for the mutual instruction of members and being therefore very important to themselves they were persuaded it was doing even more than the german people had a right to expect and looked upon every one as a traitor to the country who had impudence to ask them to come to any result when the viennese insurrection broke out there was a host of interpolations debates motions and amendments upon it which of course led to nothing the central power was to interfere it sent two commissioners velker the ex-liberal and mosel to vienna the travels of don quixote and sancho panza form matter for an odyssey in comparison with the heroic feats and wonderful adventures of those two knight-errants of german unity not daring to go to vienna they were bullied by windischgritz wondered at by the idiot emperor and impudently hoaxed by the minister stadion their dispatches and reports are perhaps the only portion of the frankfurt transactions that will retain a place in german literature they are a perfect satirical romance ready cut and dried and an eternal monument of disgrace for the frankfurt assembly and its government the left side of the assembly had also sent two commissioners to vienna in order to uphold its authority there frubel and robert blum blum when danger drew near judged brightly that here the great battle of the german revolution was to be fought and unhesitatingly resolved to stake his head on the issue frubel on the contrary was of opinion that it was his duty to preserve himself for the important duties of his post at frankfort blum was considered one of the most eloquent men of the frankfort assembly he certainly was the most popular his eloquence would not have stood the test of any experienced parliamentary assembly he was too fond of the shallow declamations of a german dissenting preacher and his arguments wanted both philosophical acumen and acquaintance with practical matters of fact in politics he belonged to moderate democracy a rather indefinite sort of thing cherished on account of this very want of definiteness in its principles but with all this robert blum was by nature a thorough though somewhat polished plebeian and in decisive moments his plebeian instinct and plebeian energy got the better of his indefiniteness and therefore indecisive political persuasion and knowledge in such moments he raised himself far above the usual standard of his capacities thus in vienna he saw at a glance that here not in the midst of the would-be elegant debates of frankfort the fate of his country would have to be decided he at once made up his mind gave up all idea of retreat took a command in the revolutionary force and behaved with extraordinary coolness and decision it was he who retarded for a considerable time the taking of the town and covered one of its sides from attack by burning the tabor bridge over the danube everybody knows how after the storming he was arrested tried by court-martial and shot he died like a hero and the frankfort assembly horror-struck as it was yet took the bloody insult with a seeming good grace a resolution was carried which by the softness and diplomatic decency of its language was more an insult to the grave of the murdered martyr 
than a damning stain upon Austria. But it was not to be expected that this contemptible assembly should resent the assassination of one of its members, particularly of the leader of the left. London, March 1852 End of chapter 12